0: The third chapter of the book of Joshua is the place of our uh, study again for the last month. I have been discussing with those of you who have been listening. (laughs) The matter of living in victory. And nowhere in all of Scripture is there a greater picture of the victorious life than the book of Joshua. And we've come today to this text in the first uh, the first five verses of the third chapter that really give us that turning point of stepping over into victory that comes when God releases His power in the life of His people. Follow with me as I read. Then Joshua rose early in the morning And he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. And they lodged there before they crossed. And it came about at the end of three days that the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 200 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you when God releases his power among his people it becomes a turning point in the lives of his people and so God came to Joshua and said you tell them consecrate yourself for tomorrow I'm going to release my power among you wouldn't you like to have a message like that After a day of defeat, God comes to you in the night. Or perhaps after a long life of defeat and failure and inability to live victoriously, God comes to you suddenly and dynamically to say, tomorrow I'm going to release my power among you and you'll never be the same again. And when God said to Joshua, I'm going to release my power among you tomorrow. He indicated a, a, an experience that would change them from all, for all time. It marked the end of a generation of defeat and failure and the beginning of a lifetime of, of victory and, and joy. And that's the difference really. The difference between defeat and victory... Spiritual defeat and victory. Between misery and joy is the release of the power of God in your life. And there can be no victory apart from that. Now the question comes, you know, what is it or when is it that God releases His power among us? You know, I could use a miracle or two. And there may be some of you who have been saying, Lord, if if you don't intervene and cause something wonderful to happen in my life, I don't think I'm going to make it. And you probably have said, I have prayed and anticipated the power of God released in my life. And I know that God does that. And I know He's promised that, and I've prayed for it. So what are the conditions that enable God to release His power his might among us. I want to mention two this morning, two conditions. And then I want to do, deal with the other later. First, the power of God flows in the direction of the purpose of God. Now I think that sometimes we look upon the power of God like uh, kind of an emergency uh, first aid kit you know you, you look to when you get in trouble or kind of a genie that you know in a bottle that you rub and all of a sudden it pops out you know and rescues you in trouble or you call the waiter and, and we sit back and we wait for God to indulge us with his power and what we need to recognize is this that the power of God is just the executive arm of the purpose of God So that if I want to get in the stream of the might and the power of God, and who doesn't? I need to get in the stream of the purpose of God. I referred uh, last Sunday to the story of the Hebrew children. And when they were warned that if they didn't follow the decree of the pagan king, they'd be tossed into the furnace, this was their response. We believe that God is able to deliver us and He will. And it takes a lot of faith to claim that promise and that deliverance, but it takes more faith to do what they did in the next statement. We believe, they said, that our God is able to deliver us, and He will, but if He doesn't, that's okay too. For they recognized that the power of God to deliver ran and flowed in the same channel as the purpose of God, So that if it is not God's purpose to dismiss the fire, then He will not release His power to deliver. The power of God flows in the direction of the purpose of God. Now I need to say three things about the purpose of God. First of all, the purpose of God for your life and mine is an eternal purpose. It is something that God has decreed in eternity past, And I can't change it. I mean, I can't alter it or change it or do anything about it. You and I love to quote that passage from Ephesians. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, we don't quote enough. We need to quote the next verse. And the next verse says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath beforehand prepared that we should walk in them. And what he's saying is this, that way back in eternity past, God created you for a purpose, and He created that purpose for you. Long before you ever came to be, God had a purpose for you, and He created that purpose, and then He created you for the purpose. And the law of provision comes into effect here that we've talked about so much. And the law of provision is that God always provides for the need before the need arises. It's true in creation. He created the water before He created the fish because the fish had to have the water to live. He created the oxygen you breathe before He created you. He didn't create you and then say, hold your breath a minute and I'll get you some air. The Bible says that Jesus was slain, the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Before there ever was a sin, there was a Savior. Before there ever was a sinner, there was a substitute, a Savior for that sin. Because God always provides before the need arises. Now, watch this. Way back in eternity past, God provided, made provision for a a purpose for your life. He created this purpose. And then he created you for the purpose. Now there's a lot of people who never take the time, never bother to ask the question, why did God create me? Why did God save me? Why did he spare me? There have been a thousand things that could have happened in my life that would have destroyed me. Never bother to ask, why did God create me? You see, you know what success is? Success is finding the purpose of God for your life and fitting into that purpose. It is an essential purpose. It's essential to God. Because the only way that God can be glorified is that you would find His purpose for your life and fulfill it. I need to say that again. The only way that God can be glorified in and by your life is that you find His purpose for your life and fulfill it and that means that it doesn't matter how much you fight against God's purpose he will never abandon it and he gave us that illustration of the potter and when the vessel was marred in the hand of the potter he didn't just discard it or cast it aside he made it a new, another vessel as it pleased the potter because he is not going to abandon his purpose for your life regardless of how much you fight against that purpose it's essential essential to him and it's essential to you for when God arrested Paul on the road to Damascus he said why do you persecute me for it is hard for you to kick against the goads now most of you know what a goad was it was a long stick spear that was sharpened on the end and these farmers would use it to prod the oxen and they had jab them in the flanks to get them to hasten to quicken their pace to move on and at first, the oxen would kick or lash back against the, the goad, the prod. The only good that did was just inflict more pain, you know. And, and these ox were not nuclear scientists, but they, they were smart enough to know after a while that, you know, the only good that was doing was just bringing more suffering on them. And so they began to hasten, quicken their pace. Now, it doesn't take much to know this morning that as long as you resist God's purpose for your life, the only thing that does is bring suffering and pain. It's essential that you find that plan, that purpose. It is exciting. Oh, the wonder of the purpose of God. And when a man finds the purpose of God, and he gets in the stream of God's purpose for his life, and he's in the stream of God's power for his life. Oh, the wonder of that. Never has been anybody who has been there has died of boredom. The wonder of that. For when you're in the stream of the purpose of God, and you're caught up in the power of God, it means that God has guaranteed to guide you past every obstacle that would detour you, and God has promised to guard you against every obstacle that would destroy you. You're invincible there, you see. And so Paul is on his way in that ship to Rome as a prisoner. And they get caught in this storm. And the ship's going to break up and go down. So they toss all the cargo overboard to lighten the ship to see if it, maybe that'll save them and it's not going to help. And, and it's obvious that the crew is going overboard next. This thing's going down, and the next morning Paul stands before the crew and the captain, and he says, "Be a good cheer." Now that's a stu- That was a strange thing to say. Christians say the strangest things some of, in the strangest at the strangest times. Apostle Paul, you know, the ship's breaking up, the storm is raging, and Paul's up there saying, be a good cheer." This is why he said, last night an angel spoke to me in a dream and said, you must stand before Caesar. What Paul was saying is this. It is God's purpose for my life that I stand before Caesar in Rome, and nothing will ever destroy or defeat that purpose. Let me tell you something. When you're in the heart, in the center, in the stream of God's purpose for your life and God's power is moving in that channel, you are invincible. Nothing can defeat you there. That's why it's exciting. The power of God flows in the direction of the purpose of God. Oh, what a word for this church and for these people. But secondly... The power of God follows the discretion of the timing of God. Follows the discretion of the timing of God. Now it is obvious when you read this passage, and we've already noted it several times, that what is happening here is on the basis of a, of a divine or heavenly schedule. And God says to him in the first place, He said, I want you to go over and camp beside the Jordan and stay there for three days. And then he comes to verse 5 and he says, Tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to do mighty things. I'm going to do wonders among you. And it's apparent that the power of God is following a divine timetable. It's going to happen on the basis of God's timing. And I think that's essential, absolutely essential, if we're ever going to live a life that is devoid of anxiety and panic. For you and I you know, move into panic palace because not because we don't believe that God is going to take care of things, but because we don't understand that God operates on the basis of His timing. And He operates from a different schedule than you and I operate from. And it's absolutely essential to know that. You see, it's not only necessary that we know what God wants us to do, but when He wants us to do it. For our history is littered with the names of people who did right things at the wrong time. Does that that sound familiar? Doing right things at the wrong time. Moses is an example of that. Now I'm convinced that Moses believed that he was going to be an instrument of God to deliver his people from bondage. He lived in this palace, he had available to him the best education available. Josephus said he was a commander of an army, had tremendous victory in battle, but he knew he didn't belong there. He was a Jew. And he knew that within God's great plan for his life, there was something greater than this, something better than this. The only mistake Moses made was with regard to timing. And so he killed that Egyptian. I I suppose he thought that God was going to use him to kill the Egyptians off one at a time. He killed that Egyptian, and God sent him out to the backside of a desert, and there he stayed for 40 years. It just wasn't God's time yet. And when it became God's time to use Moses to deliver his people, he did it overnight. Abraham is an example of a person who did right things in the wrong time. God came to him one day and said, Abraham, I'm going to multiply your seed and make you a great nation. It'll be easier to count the grains of sand on the sea than it will be to count your people, so plentiful will they be. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And the years clicked by and passed by and Abraham's getting older and older and now he's in his 90s. He decides he'd take matters in his own hands, and so he gets with his wife, and they get with a with a with a handmaid, and and they give birth to he, Abraham, and this handmaid give birth to this son, Ishmael. Now, watch this. It is a dangerous thing when you don't have guidance to push out on a path and not wait for God. Ishmael the the. Uh, Arab nation and the war that goes on in the Middle East is a perfect example of that danger. It's a dangerous thing to do right things at wrong times. And the problem is that we interpret God's timing as God's delay and that angers us and frustrates us. I want God to hurry up, you see. Somebody said, somebody went into the office of Phillips Brooks the great preacher at Plymouth Church in Boston. And he was in there wringing his hands, pacing up and down angrily. And somebody said to him, Brother Reverend Brooks, what's the trouble? He said, The trouble is that I'm in a hurry and God isn't. The trouble is that we interpret God's timing as God's delay, and that angers us and frustrates us. Now, there are two illustrations in the New Testament concerning the flow of God's timing. I just want to mention them and give three reasons why God delays as we interpret it, delay. The first illustration is in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark. It's the healing of Jarius, his daughter. And he comes to Jesus and his daughter is gravely ill and Jesus is on his way to his house to heal her. Probably not fast enough for Jairus. And on their way, they're interrupted by this woman who has an issue of blood for 12 years. And Jesus stops to deal with that problem. And Jairus is on the outside of the crowd, pacing, moving from one foot to the next. And there's probably some bitterness in his heart toward the woman and even toward Jesus. And finally the word comes, the daughter is dead. The second illustration of the timing of the Lord is found in the 11th chapter of the book of John. And there Jesus is down in the Galilee with his disciples and Lazarus, his friend, is sick. And they send word to him, Jesus delays. And finally when he gets to Bethany outside of Jerusalem, Lazarus is dead and been dead for three days. Now the question comes, why is it that those kinds of things happen with regard to the timing of God. Why is it that He took them over here beside the Jordan and made them sit there for three days and watch this river out of control like you've seen on television this week? Nobody's building a bridge. Nobody's building a boat. Why is that? Well, there's three reasons. Now, I'm sure you've watched on television or you've seen advertisements of this this time-release capsule got you know, some pharmacists here. I've always wondered if that was just hype or, you know, physician. Does, is that really, I, I know what they're talking about there. They say, they say those little grains in that capsule are timed so that for 24 hours, you know, they release this medication into your body. Is that really true, Dennis? Does that work? Yeah, okay. That's not false advertising. And, and, and see, see these little capsules, little medicine treatment here, a little medicine information. These little capsules release this medication on a time interval, all the way through for twenty-four hours. Now watch this. I, I know this to be true. I, I can speak with authority on this. That God releases His power timed to do three things. First, it's timed so that he can display the helplessness of the hopeless situation. As long as this little girl is alive, there's hope. Now she's dead, no hope. As long as Lazarus is alive, there's hope he'll get well. Now he's been dead for three days, no hope. And I have found in my experience with God that he never releases his power in my life until I get to the place where I am willing to acknowledge that it is beyond hope for me. And I'm helpless. And when I'm willing to say, Lord, I can't do anything at this point. You're the only one. I am absolutely at the end of myself. His power is released. Second, He times the release of His power to deepen our faith in the faithfulness of God. And he spoke to these two people with regard to faith. He said to, the, to Jarius, keep on believing. Well, he, he had faith when he came to Jesus in the first place. And now that he heard that his daughter was dead, Jesus said this amazing thing. He said, keep on believing. He spoke to him at the point of faith. And when the disciples heard that Lazarus was dead, Jesus said to them, I'm glad I tarried for your sakes so that you can believe. And when he got to Bethany, these women came out, the sisters of Lazarus, Lazarus, and they rebuked Jesus and said, in essence, if you hadn't taken so long, our brother would still be alive. And Jesus said, he's going he's gonna to be raised. And they said, we know he'll be raised on at the resurrection, and Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? Now watch this. The power of God is released at the point of time that it best deepens our faith in Him. We don't know the ABCs of trusting. I want to, and I try to, But you and I have never had a faith unshakable until God brings us into these situations where it is absolutely hopeless. And there in those situations, He teaches us to depend entirely upon Him. That's why James could say, count it all joy when trials come, because in the midst of that trial, you'll you'll find a deep faith in God. Finally, His power is timed to be released when God gets the greater glory. Now, which gives Jesus the greater glory to heal a sick child? Well, He'd already displayed his power to heal or to raise her from the dead. What gives Jesus the greatest greater glory? to heal Lazarus who is sick, or to raise Lazarus who is dead. Now God's purpose and objective in life is to get glory for Himself. And I promise you this, that God will release His power in this church and in your life when God knows that He will get the greatest glory in the release of that power. And there is a principle that I've learned. I want you to get this. The principle is this. That the closer you get to God, the less you care about times and seasons. The closer you get to God, the less you care about times and seasons. Now... If there's anybody here this morning who has intelligence, an IQ slightly above a rock or a stick, anybody who has that much intelligence, wants the power of God in his life. Who wouldn't? Who would not like to hear some message from God today? Get ready, man. Get ready, woman. For I'm going to open up heaven and release my power in your life. Who wouldn't want that? Let me tell you. If you get in this, this morning, if you get in the stream of His purpose, are you out of the purpose of God for your life? You get in the stream of His purpose and you bring your faith to a commitment to God so that you're willing to accept His time. God. God. When it is time, shall release his power in your life. And that's a turning point, and you'll never be the same again. Let's pray together. Father, there are those of us here this morning who desperately need your power power for guidance, power for victory. Power for deliverance. Reveal to us this morning your purpose, your will. And I pray this morning for those who have never received Christ, those who are outside the kingdom of God, that today they will come within the stream of His purpose and experience the power of God unto salvation. Put themselves in the position for the power of God to save. And I pray for church members, for Christians who are outside God's purpose for their life, living according to their own plans and their own desires, that there might be genuine repentance and commitment and return power of God can be released and prayers can be answered wonders performed in them and in our church may it be that we'll move to those decisions today in faith for I ask in Jesus name now there are three invitations this morning an invitation for you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal savior in the early service this morning a lady a mother a, mother, a wife came to say I I don't think I've ever been saved, really. I joined the church when I was a little bitty child, but I really don't know what it's all about. I want to be saved. I want to pray for the, the sinner's prayer and invite Christ into my life. There may be some of you just like that who've never come to the place where you've acquiesced to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered to Him as Savior and Lord. Maybe you need to come this morning to join our church, to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ, to begin to walk with Him. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come. While God speaks to your heart, you come while we sing.